glad we have a God that we can depend on and who is faithful. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, we are concluding today our study as we do each year in January. We take some time to talk about stewardship, and uh, we've had a few interruptions this year in January, but we'll finish up today talking about why give God the tithe. Why do we tithe? Why do we give God the tithe? Some notes on the back of your bulletin if you want to fill those out as we go along. Verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where, your, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Did you know that there are over 2,000 passages in the Bible that talk about money? And yet, people many times get upset about the preacher talking about money. Let me give you some statistics that will help you to understand why people don't like the preacher to talk about money. I'm told that the average American gives a total of 3 to 5% of his income to charitable causes, including the church. Think about that for a minute. 3 to 5% the average American gives. A little bit short of the tithe, isn't it? Which is 10%. Christianity Today says that tithers make up 10 to 25% of the normal congregation. Now, if that's true, 10 to 25% of the normal congregation tithes. That means 75 to 90% of the people in the normal congregation do not tithe. Now, I'm sure that our church is much better than that, but that's average. Church development says this, it says only 5% of Americans tithe and 80% only give 2% of their income. 80% only give 2% of their income. Church leaders say that Christians are giving at 2.5% of their income today, but during the Great Depression, it was 3.3%. I thought that was kind of interesting. Gave more during the Great Depression. And I looked at some statistics and I found that based on the income, the lower the income, the higher percentage of people that tithe. And the higher the income, the lower percentage. Interesting. Health research funding said that when, a cert, when surveyed, 17% of Americans state that they tithe regularly. They said that for Christian families making less than 20% or $20,000 per year, 8% of them gave at least 10% of tithing. For families making $75,000 a year, church tithing figure dropped to just 1%. HRF, Health Research Funding, also said 37% of regular church attendees do not give any money to their church. 37% don't give any money to their church. No wonder some people don't like the preacher to talk about money. Amen? <laughs> kind of helps you understand that a little bit. One of the most financially challenging times in my life was during the early years of my marriage. When Vicki and I first got married, we, we actually lived in Chatsworth, Georgia, which was about uh, 45 miles from Chattanooga, where I was a student in college. I was pastoring Second Baptist Church in Chatsworth, Georgia, and at the time, the church was paying me $50 a week. I was probably overpaid at that. But much of that went back into the ministry, and much of it went back into the church. Vicki at the time was working for Galaxy Carpet Mills, 
and uh, in the accounts receivable, and we mostly lived on her income and what she made. That's why I keep her around. She keeps me financed. We rented a house from a very precious Christian couple that we met for $50 a month. That was our rent. If we had to come to you for some financial advice during those entire, those incredibly difficult times in our life, I wonder what you would tell me. Should I give the first 10% of our meager income to the Lord? What would you have told me to do? What would you have done if you were in that situation? Good question for us to think about this morning. What have you done about giving the tithe in your situation that you're in today? This morning, my message is kind of a little bit of a personal testimony of why Vicki and I have, through the years, given to God the full tithe and beyond. I've mentioned before, in my junior year of high school, I worked 20 hours a week. I worked in the evenings from 4 to 9 at a frozen meat company called Murray Steaks. And I would work four hours on Monday and Tuesday. I was off Wednesday because we had prayer meeting. Then I worked four hours Thursday and Friday, and then eight hours on Saturday. So I worked 20 hours a week. My senior year, I co-opted. I went to school until noon, and then I worked 40 hours a week for National Shirt Shop in the Wheaton Plaza in Wheaton, Maryland, suburbs of Washington, D.C., And I say that just to say this, from that junior year, and even before that, but when I started first getting a paycheck, from that junior year in high school till today, I do not know of any week that I ever failed to give my tithe to the Lord. And I don't say that to brag, I just say that to say that my dad taught me, and God taught me through his word, and even in the difficult times when we first got married and were in college, God always provided our needs and took care of us. And God will do that. And so this morning, I want to give you some reasons why I give God the full tithe and beyond. But before I do, let me ask and answer a couple of questions for you. What does it mean to give God the full tithe? What does it mean? The word tithe means what? Tenth, all right? Ten percent, a tenth of what we have. So giving God the full tithe or tithing means that I give God a full 10% of my income and uh, give it in the offerings through the local church. Tithing or tenthing, if you want to use a technical word, is the basic standard of giving throughout the Bible. The first reference to tithing in the Bible is found in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 20. It says, and he gave him tithes of all. There are people today that say, well, tithing is under the law. Well, I beg to differ with you. It is under the law, but it was before the law was ever given in Genesis chapter 14. A few chapters later in Genesis chapter 28, Jacob said this in verse 22. He said, in this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. So giving to God the full tithe means giving him the first 10% of my income through the local church. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring ye all the tithes into the what? Storehouse. What's the storehouse? That there may be meat in mine house. It's God's house. We bring the tithe into the storehouse, which is God's house. So why do we do that? Why have I done that all these years? First of all, number one, it affirms that Jesus is the Lord of our lives. It It affirms that Jesus Christ is the Lord of our lives. When a person becomes a Christian... 
they become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, Jen, has the word Christ in there. We become like Christ. We become followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ becomes the Lord and the boss of our life. That's why the Bible says a number of occasions when we call on the Lord or people called on the Lord, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word Lord means boss. When I get saved, I let him become the boss of my life. All right? And so I, wanna, I want to affirm that Jesus is Lord of my life. And one of the ways I do that is by bringing my tithe and giving it to him. God is, as we know, one God, one Lord. And yet, for many reasons, people allow money to become a rival God in their lives. I believe money is one of the gods, one of the biggest gods in our, in our nation today, in America. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, in our text, if you look there, look at verse number 24 of Matthew 6. He says, no man can serve two masters, for either, either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. God says you can't serve God and money. You're going to love the one and hate the other. Or you're going to hold the one, despise the other. So giving God the first 10% is a concrete way in my life and your life of affirming to God that he is the boss, that he is the Lord of my life. Jesus himself affirmed tithing to his followers. If you're still there in Matthew, look over to chapter 23 with me. And look at verse 23. We've talked about this verse this month as we've been talking about stewardship, but let's look at it again. Matthew 23 and verse 23. And the Lord was talking to the, to the scribes and Pharisees, and he says in verse 23 of Matthew 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay what? Tithe. The Lord said to them, You tithe. You pay your tithes of mint and anise and cumin. They, they, they were very particular, meticulous about their tithing, make sure they did it exactly. And, but he says, and have omitted the weightier, weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, faith. And then notice what he said. These ought ye to have done. You ought to have tithed, but don't leave the others undone. Don't leave the, the things that they had omitted, judgment, mercy, faith. Don't leave those. So the Lord, he confirmed the necessity of us as believers tithing in the New Testament. So it was before the law, it was during the law, it was after the law by the Lord Jesus Christ as he gave that, that to us in Matthew 23, and he does the same again in Luke chapter 11. He gives to us the fact that we are simply to obey him as the Lord of our life. In John chapter 14 and verse 15, Jesus said, If ye love me, keep my commandments. In other words, Jesus said, If you love me, obey me. Now, that particular word, keep there, has more to do than just obey. It is, it is like keeping it before our eyes. We, we are constantly aware of, we're reminded of following the Lord and obeying him. So if I'm a believer and the Lord commands me to tithe, I obey him, and that confirms that he is the Lord of my life, that he is the boss. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 46, Jesus said, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Why do you call me Lord and don't do what I tell you to do? In other words, Jesus is saying, if you're not going to do what I tell you to do, you can't call me Lord. I'm not Lord. I'm not boss. Remember when Peter was going, the Lord was instructing them to take the gospel to the, to the 
Gentiles as well as to the Jews. You remember, he saw that sheet come down from heaven. And he saw all kinds of animals, clean and unclean. And, and the angel said to him, rise, kill and eat. And he, and he said this. He said, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything that was unclean before. I can't do that. You can't really say that phrase and be truthful. You can't say, not so, and still say, Lord, after it, can you? Because if we say, not so, then he's not Lord. Then we have become the Lord. We're doing what we want to do instead of what he wants. So first of all, my tithing affirms that Jesus is the Lord of my life. Secondly, it sets an example for the people that we love. It sets an example for the people that we love. And through the years, Vicki and I have tried to set that example. I, through the years, have come across from time to time preachers who, who never tithe. And it always amazed me. How can you ask people to tithe in your congregation if you don't do it? One of the wonderful things about our Savior is he practiced what he preached, didn't he? And when he said, follow me, he was doing and we were following what he did. And I think pastors ought to be an example, and we all ought to be an example to the people that we love. I should, you should be as well. All Christian parents ought to want their children to follow them as they follow the Lord and want their children to come to know the Lord as their Savior and be saved. In fact, for most of us, that's what we want in life more than anything else, that our children, our grandchildren grow up to live for God and serve God. Amen? It's important to remember that Christianity is more caught than it is taught. Amen? We catch it by what we see. Children are more likely to follow the example set by their parents than they are to respond to the lectures given to them by their parents. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse or chapter 1 verse 5, Paul testifies of the power of parental example. And he says this, he says when I call to remembrance, he's talking about the life of Timothy. He said when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and thy mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded that it's in thee also. Not all of you have that privilege, but some of us can say, you know what, I saw that in my grandma. She was a godly lady. And I saw that in my mom. She lived for God and served God. And now I'm doing the same thing. You see, we want to be an example to those that we love. We want them to follow in our steps. If you want your children to make Jesus Lord of their life, it's important to you to set the proper example. And one of the ways you do that is through the area of finances and through money. If you have little children, whether you give them an allowance or you have chores, I think it's better to have chores for them to earn that, that money. When you give that money to them each week, give them three envelopes. All right? And if they're, or you can put three little jars up on the, on, on the shelf or on the, on the dresser. Give them, let's say, for instance, they, they earn a dollar. I'm going to make this real simple so you can understand, okay? Give them ten dimes. You put one dime in this envelope or jar that's marked God's. That's their tie that belongs to God. The next jar is savings. You put a dime in there. And the third jar is spending. You put the other eight dimes in there, Okay? You're teaching them to tithe, you're teaching them to save, you're teaching them that there's only a certain amount that they can spend, all right? And then on Sunday, let them go get what's in God's jar and bring it to church and give it to the Lord. Teach them to use the offering envelopes, they can put their money in there. 
And if it's $10, you give $1 and $1 and $8. It's not hard to figure that out. But teach them at a very early age. Start to teach them through their life. And you set the example by doing the same thing. And as you tithe, you're not only affirming that Jesus is your Lord, but you're setting the example for the people that you love. You're helping them to learn as well. Then also, it expresses our faith in God. It expresses our faith in God. When you and I tithe, we are saying, God, I trust you. Go back, keep your, well, you don't necessarily need to keep your finger there right now, but go back right before Matthew. You have the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. And look at chapter 3 with me. Malachi chapter 3 and look at verse number 6. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Now, let me just stop and say this, and I may come back to this again if we have time later on. The folks that say, well, tithing was Old Testament, we won't do that today. This chapter is Old Testament, the Lord's talking about tithing. But before he talks about that in chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10, he says, I want you to know I'm the Lord, I change not. In other words, he's saying what was good for the Old Testament is good for us in the New Testament. In verse number 7, he says, Even from the days of your fathers, you're gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But you say, Wherein shall we return? Verse 8, Will a man rob God? Ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation." Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to have God's curse on me. Amen? So how do we not have it? Verse number 10, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I'll not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruit of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. He expresses our faith in God. Notice two remarkable truths that are given here. First of all, failure to give God the tithe and beyond is robbery. God says, you have robbed me. Wherein have we robbed thee in tithes and offerings? The tithe belongs to God. Matter of fact, all of our money belongs to God, doesn't it? But God wants us to give him the tithe. If I were to take $1,000 out of my pocket, and I'm not going to do that because there's not $1,000 in there, okay? So don't worry about it. If I were to take $1,000 out of my pocket today and handed it to you, Billy, and said, now I want you to give me $100 back, you'd probably say, sure, preacher, I'd be glad to. Now, why would he be so eager to give me $100 back? Because it wasn't his money, it was my money. And I gave it to him, and he gives me $100. In fact, he would probably say, hey, can we do that again? <laughs> but God says, hey, here's what I'm giving. It all belongs to me, God says. I'm giving to you, and all I ask you is, I want you to give 10% back to me and honor me. Secondly, God challenges his people to put him to the test. Failure to tithe is robbery, but then he goes on and says, I want you to put me to the test. 
I want you to, I want you to take what I've shown you and test me. Verse number 10, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord. Put me to the test. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now again, some people will say, well, that's in the Old Testament. It's written to the Jewish people, but we've already seen in verse number six that God says, I change not. It's for us today. Let me give you a New Testament example of it. Philippians 4.19, God taught the people in Philippians chapter 4 to give to the needs of the missionaries and so forth. And then after he said, as you give to them, he says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. In other words, God said, when you give to, to the ministry and to the work of the Lord, God says, then I'll take care of you and see that your needs are met and taken care of. Remember I told you about the most financially challenging time when I was in college I made $50 a week. It would be easy for me to say, well, I had so little money and so much expense. How could I possibly give away the first 10%? And what I would have been saying is, God, I can't trust you if I just have a little bit of money. But if you'd give me a whole lot of money, then I could trust you. Amen? I heard about a fellow one time. He went to his preacher and he said, preacher, I'm having a terrible time. He said, I used to make $100 a week. And he said, I didn't have any trouble at all giving the Lord $10 a week. But he said, now, he said, I'm making $10,000 a week. And he said, I'm having a terrible time giving God $1,000 a week. He said, I'm really struggling with it. Preacher put his arm around him and he said, let's pray. He said, dear God, this man had a terrible time giving you $1,000 a week out of $10,000. But he didn't have any trouble, Lord, giving you $10 out of $100. Lord, would you reduce his salary back to $100? And the man said, no, 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 don't say that. He said, but that's what you were saying. You know, and that's what we think sometimes. If I just had more, I could give more. If I had enough money, then I could tithe. No, God says, I want you to trust me and prove me and put me to the test with what you have. You see, God is a great God. I don't know how he does it, but he can take the 90% that I have left for me and make it go as far as the 100%. You see, 90% with God is a whole lot more than 100% without God. And God wants me to trust him and put him first. And then number four, not only does tithing express our faith in God, but it also protects our heart. It protects our heart. Back in our text, we read there in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord said, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, in verse 21. Notice it says, where your treasure is. So here's my treasure. I put my treasure in the, in the offering plate. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It doesn't say where your heart is, there will your treasure be. What is he saying? He's saying that our heart follows our treasure. Our heart follows. Where are you putting your treasure? That's where your heart's going to go. Your heart's going to follow. You show me a person's checkbook and you show me their calendar, and I can tell you what kind of a Christian they are, and I can tell you what's most important in their life. Where does my money go? 
where does my time go? And if I have no money for God and no time for God, I'm not much of a Christian, am I? In fact, I may not be a Christian at all if I have no time for God. Look with me, if you will, at 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul tells us that tithing is a safeguard against the temptations that money can bring into our lives. And he tells us there in those verses that the love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. There are some people that don't have any money, but they love it, and they're just as evil as a person that has a lot and has fallen in love with it. But look at chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, verse number 6. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6. And this is probably one of the most important verses in the Bible. You ought to underline it if you don't have it underlined in your Bible. It says, but godliness with, what's the next word? Contentment is great gain. You know why we get in trouble financially? Because we're not content. We're not content with what God has given us. We want more. We want bigger. We want better. And there's no better way to be sure that money doesn't control me and have an undue grip on me than to give the first part of it to God. Materialism is a false religion. It's a false religion that says money can do for me what only God can do. And when we start depending on money to do for us what only God can do, guess what money has become? It's become our God. It's become a false God. We think money can give us happiness and security and fulfillment, and that's America's materialism, America's false religion. Tithing is a stand against materialism. It is a rejection of the idolatry of worshiping money and things. Materialism, again, says that happiness comes from having more. We become enslaved with the addictive pursuit of accumulating things. The advertisers make a killing off of it, don't they? Getting us to want more, to not be content, to want more. Materialism says that happiness comes from having more. Money and things are like drugs. Shopping is a fix. And we want more, and so we go out and get a temporary high that leaves us craving for even more. Tithing breaks that bondage to materialism. Giving away the first 10% brings freedom from the slavery of more and bigger and newer and fancier and better. What am I saying? I'm saying tithing protects my heart. It protects your heart. And then also, number five, it affirms our value. Vicki and I have given the tithe through these years because it affirms our values. I've often said, as I did just a little while ago, you check your calendar, you check your checkbook, you can see where your values are. Or I could say today, check your credit card statement and check your iPad or your iPhone or whatever phone you have. I can tell where you are and what your values are in your life. The world says, follow the money. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Giving God the full tithe and beyond, it affirms some of our highest values. What are our highest values? First of all, one of our highest values is to be the kingdom of God. Remember what Matthew chapter 6, a little bit further on than what we read today in verse 33, which I, as a teenager, chose as my life verse. Matthew 6, 33 says, but seek ye first the what? Kingdom of God and His righteousness 
and all these things shall be added unto you. The Lord talked about people worrying about the food and the clothing and the place that they live. And the Lord said, you put me first and I'll take care of those things. Put God first in your life. And then not only the kingdom of God, but the salvation of eternal souls. Our values ought to be on winning other people to Christ and seeing them come to the Savior. Mark chapter 8 and verse 36 says, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? In other words, God says, what if you could have all the money in the world? That's not worth anything compared to your eternal destination, is it? And if that's true for me, that's true for everybody else. So what do I, where do I invest my, my time and my money? It's in winning also seeing the souls that are of more value than the whole world to God. I invest in trying to see them come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and get saved. And then the third value it affirms is the vision of our church. We believe that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Amen? He's the hope of our world today. The individual, the family, the community, the nation, the world. He's the hope of the world. Our church isn't perfect. I know most of you have figured that out by now. But it's where God has led me. It's where God has led you. And... We're committed to that vision that, that we have as a church. We give our full tithe and beyond through the church because we believe in the vision and we want to invest in that vision. It affirms our values. Where are your values today? And then number six, it provides for our future. It provides for our future. Our culture is all concerned about retirement and social security and long-term care. We want security. We want to provide for our future, and, and rightly so. But at most, we're going to be on this earth for 70 or 80. Or somebody may, might make 90, somebody might make 100 years. And then what? If you're saved, you're going to spend eternity in heaven, aren't you? If you're lost, you'll spend eternity in hell forever and ever. Tithing provides for our future. You say, how, how does that provide for our future. Let's go back to our verses in Matthew chapter 6 again and look at verse 19. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon what? Earth. God says don't be all consumed with laying up treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in what? Heaven. God says, don't worry about laying up treasures here. Lay up treasures in heaven. This life is 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years at best. That's nothing compared to forever, is it, that we'll spend with the Lord. And so we can think about our future. Laying up treasures in heaven. Somebody said, well, as a preacher, we don't get paid very much, but our retirement plan's out of this world. Amen? That's true for all of us as Christians if we know the Lord. How's your retirement account in heaven? Are you laying up treasures in heaven? You can't take money to heaven with you. When you die, I've said this oftentimes, I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. Somebody brought a picture on Facebook one time of a U-Haul behind a hearse. I, I'm sure that was photoshopped somehow. But you never see a U-Haul. You can't take it with you. But. You can send it on ahead. 
You can't invest in the eternal souls of men. You can invest in the kingdom of God. And that's why the Lord says here, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And so we're providing for our future. Our eternal IRA that inflation and recession cannot touch. It's in heaven. Then number seven, it gives us great pleasure. It gives us great pleasure. Acts chapter 20, verse 35 says, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. How many of you agree with me? Giving makes you feel good. Amen? It makes you feel good to give and to help somebody, especially when you know it's a, a, a particular special need that they need. We enjoy giving Christmas gifts. We enjoy giving birthday gifts. We enjoy giving to a needy family. Something inside of us, it makes us feel good. And, and so giving gives us great pleasure. Greedy, selfish people are not happy people. They're miserable people. But generous people are happy people. And they're a lot more fun to be around too, aren't they? Generous people. Would you rather be around a selfish, stingy person or around a generous, giving person? I know where I'd rather be. When we write the check or take the cash and put it in our offering plate, we drop it in that offering plate, we give it to the Lord. It makes you feel good. You're obeying the Lord. You're helping out in the work of God. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And then number eight, it positions us for God's blessings and God's protection. You want God's blessings on your life? Be a tither. You want God's protection on your life? Be a tither. The plain truth is that God has committed himself to take care of those that put him first in their lives and in their finances. I mentioned the verse a little while ago, Matthew 6 and verse 33. He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God will bless you as you put him first. I like verse Luke chapter 6, verse 38. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom, for with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. God says, give. And don't give stingingly. He said, given it shall be given unto you. And then he says, good measure, pressed down, shaken together. When they took the grain in those days, they did like you do sometimes with certain things. They got a, a bushel of grain or a peck or whatever they were getting. They got it full, but then they kind of patted it down and shook it so you could get a little bit more. You ever do that at the grocery store when you're getting something? You try to get a little bit more in that. And they... And they, and they, and they have it full and running over. That's what God says. He's not just going to give you a basket full. He's going to make it pressed down, shaken together, full and running over. He said, God gives to us. Give and it shall be given unto you. And then the verse goes on and says, shall men give into your bosom? I've found through the years as God has allowed me to give to others and give to his work and invest in the ministry and the kingdom of God, God has touched other people's heart to give to me. And it's amazing. I've had twice in the last 10 years, 
I've had somebody give me a brand new car. One, I watched them drive off the showroom floor. The other one, I went and picked it out myself in the lot at the dealership. I've had two times when God has touched somebody else to give me brand new cars. I don't have the money to give anybody a brand new car, but God has let me give people some older cars that were new to somebody who needed it and helped to meet a need, and God's allowed me to do that in a lot smaller realm to other people. I'm just saying that as I have honored God and given, God has touched people. He says, shall men give into your bosom? As you give to others, God said, I'll prompt others to give to you. I have a friend of mine. He's going home to be with the Lord now, but very wealthy man. And... I had known him for a short time, and I think it was his birthday or some. It was a special occasion, and so I ordered some of these chocolate-dipped strawberries. How many of you like strawberries dipped in chocolate? The rest of you, I'm not sure about your salvation. We might want to. <laughs> so I ordered these chocolate-dipped strawberries, and I had them sent to their home. And I can't remember now whether he called me or was the next time I saw him, but he was just about in tears. And he said to me, he said, Tim, he said, nobody ever gives to us. He said, everybody knows we have a lot of money. And he said, when they're around, it's just like they got their hands out to get something from us. Nobody gives to us. And he couldn't believe that I gave something to them. By the way, he was the man that gave me the two cars. I'd buy another dozen strawberries and send them to him (laughs) if he was still alive. You see, you can do little things, be a great blessing to people. Doesn't have to be a new car. Giving brings joy and happiness. And when we give, God says he'll bless us and others will give back to us. And then... Number nine, it helps us to become like Christ. It helps us to become like the Lord Jesus Christ. No other person in all the world has ever been as generous as the Lord Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And Jesus gave his life on the cross at Calvary. 2 Corinthians 8 verses 7 and 9 says, Therefore, as ye abound in everything in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence, And in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. What grace is he talking about? He's talking about the grace of giving. God says, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. Our giving proves how serious we are about our love for God. For if you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be what? Rich. Jesus became poor so that we could become rich. I'm not talking about millionaires, multi. One day we're going to heaven, we're going to have everything we ever needed, ever wanted, could ever dream. He came to earth and became poor so we could go to heaven and be rich. So this morning as we finish up, let me ask you a couple of questions in clothing. Closing. And these are questions that people have when we think of tithing, just very quickly. Number one, people ask, do you tithe of the gross or the net of your income? Proverbs 3, 9, 10 says, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits 
of all thine increase. We tithe on the gross, the first fruits. Second question, do you give the full tithe to the church or can it be split up between charitable organizations and causes? The answer again goes back to Malachi 3.10, bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse. You bring it into the local church. The church, he says, that there may be meat in mine house. Every Jew was required under the Levitical law to pay three tithes. Now, those of you who say, well, tithing was under the law. I'm glad we're not under the law. They had to pay three tithes in the Old Testament. The first tithe, first 10%, was for the Levites. That was the religious leaders, the church. The second tithe was for the temple and the great feasts that they had. And the third tithe was for the poor of the land. By the way, if the churches did that today, if Christians did that today, we wouldn't need the government. We don't need them anyway, but, uh, huh. but it would eliminate a lot of the things that they do. Vicki and I have felt that we should give the tithe and more to the Lord. Giving implies letting go of control. It implies trusting God. It implies that we believe that He will keep His word. But I want to remind you this. Before God wants our money, He wants us. You give God yourself first of all. Guess what? God will make it without your money. He'll make it without my money. He created everything in the beginning. He can speak things out of nothing if he wants to. So it's not a matter that God needs my money. God needs me to be yielded to him so that he, want, he can bless us. And he said, first of all, you give your life. You trust the Lord as your Savior. You trust Him that He died on the cross and He, through the payment of His shed blood, paid your sin debt so that you could be in heaven with Him for all of eternity. And the most important thing is we give our life to Jesus Christ. And when you give your life to Him, then you get on board with the plan and you want to help other people. And so you give to the church and you give to help others so that they can get on board and know the Lord as, the, the Lord as their Savior as well. I drove down this road today and was going home. And I saw a house that was on fire and smoke's coming out of the roof and there's fire, flames coming out. Nobody's around, but I see the house. I would stop and run up to that house and beat on the door and try to see if anybody's in there. Especially if I saw people in the window. If I just drove by and said, well, I hope somebody stops and helps them. I wouldn't be a very good Christian, would I? I wouldn't be a very good person. I want to tell you something. This world who does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior is going to die and spend eternity in hell forever and ever and ever. And I'm not a very good Christian if I don't try to tell them to get out of the fire and get into the ark of God's safety in the Lord Jesus Christ so they can go to heaven. And that's why I want to invest in the kingdom of God, helping people get prepared to go to heaven forever so they don't have to spend eternity in hell forever and ever. You see, when people say, oh, it's just the church just wants your money, you miss the whole thing. You miss the whole thing. First of all, God loved me and gave me everything I have. Secondly, he saved me and I don't ever have to worry about going to hell. I know I'm going to heaven and there's a lot of other people don't have that, and I want them to get to go to heaven too. I don't want anybody to die and go to hell. I don't think you do either. So first of all, give him yourself, and then get on board with the program and helping other people to go with us. Let's pray together.